we won't have levelled up this country until a bus journey in Harper Hay costs the same as it does in Harringay in London. So it's £1.55 down there. Here's my, here's my ticket, uh, £2.50. Uh, so there's a pound up already there. And the question is this, why, why should public transport cost more in some of the less affluent parts of the country? That was Andy Burnham in a video released last year, making the case for what is possibly the least sexy, but arguably the most important policy he's pursued, bus reform. This week, he gave a bit more detail about that policy. He talked about two pound hopper fares on single journeys in Greater Manchester. And he outlined the benefits of bus reform, bringing buses back under local control, a franchise system whereby bus companies can no longer just pick their routes and pick their fares, that the local authority, the Greater Manchester Combined Authority, will have a lot of power in running the system. But does Greater Manchester have the funding and the political nous and the experience to pull off this big reform? This is the Manchester Weekly from the Mail. Hello, I'm Yoshi Herman, the editor and creator of The Mail. I'm here with Jack Dalhanty, who's one of our staff writers. And we're doing the podcast a little bit differently this week. We're all remote. Daryl is unfortunately unwell. So we're going to have a slightly slimmed down podcast. We're going to be talking about buses. We're going to be talking about Ukrainians in Manchester. We're also going to have a little update on the Manchester Arena inquiry. We've also got a lovely segment from Danny, who went along to the Lancashire Dining Club, which is a, a great institution that helps people over the age of 60 to find love over dinner and has an unbelievable success rate of getting you know couples um, coupled up that's going to be later but let's start with buses jack you've lived in greater manchester for your entire life talk us through getting a bus in manchester getting a bus in manchester is an unfortunate position to find yourself in in my opinion often starts with watching the first few buses drive past because there's not enough room, because there's not enough buses running. Anyone who's shared the office with me at the mail is kind of used to me arriving slightly late while whispering expletives to myself about bus lanes or traffic or buses that aren't coming on time. So I think they've long had a reputation as a difficult way to get around the city, which is incredibly frustrating for a lot of people, especially in North Manchester, like or Northern Greater Manchester, like I am, who don't have the Metrolink as well connected as it is in South Manchester. I think we only get it to Eccles and then it terminates. So it's a big struggle if you live in further out of Salford or in Belton or Wigan, especially Wigan, trying to get from Wigan to Manchester City Centre is a nightmare. And it's famously expensive because of the multiple bus companies. So which route are you on and how much do you pay to get to work? I just take what must, at first glance, appear to be the most simple route. It's a V1, which was a new set of buses that first brought in a few years ago, Vantage, which takes a sort of custom-built bus lane down the East Lancashire Road directly into Manchester. The problem with that is that there's such high demand for that bus now, and it has so many park-and-ride car parks now built along its route. By the time you're half an hour out of the city centre, the buses are too full to take anyone else, so you have to be getting... To bus stops incredibly early before the big morning rush of people. So how much is it costing you from Swinton into St Anne's Square? 
If you were getting a single fare, I think it would be about a fiver. The classic thing now, if you're ever getting a bus in Manchester, is you ask how much a single is and the bus driver just tells you to get a day saver because it's the same price. That happens everywhere now. But for me, I pay about £62 a month for a monthly ticket. So yeah, quite a lot of money. And does that allow you to go on other bus companies or just the company that runs the route you take? Just first. As soon as I try and get to, say, Openshaw or Cheetahmail, if I'm reporting on something, I'll have to be paying for extra tickets from, like, Go Northwest or Stagecoach. Right. Your case study is a fairly typical example of feeling like you're overpaying, but also feeling like your bus fare doesn't allow you to go on other services, and therefore the system is effectively pretty broken up, pretty siloed. And the big thing that Andy Burnham has been talking about for years, really, is building a system that's properly coordinated. So you can buy a bus fare on one route, you can end up on another, you can then go on the metro, it will all count as one journey, you'll have a daily cap if you are if you haven't bought a daily ticket or you haven't bought a weekly ticket, there'll be a cap in place like there is in London. You won't have these scenarios where if you haven't planned that very well, you're paying £5 to one bus company, £3 to another bus company, and then you're getting a metro and it's, and it's costing you an arm and a leg. So that's one of the big things about this. There has been a dramatic drop-off in the number of people taking buses in Greater Manchester. I mean, if you look at London, which has kept on having a regulated system, i.e. a franchise system, for the past decades, that has only had, I think, a 1% fall in in bus usage between 2008 and and, and 2018. Whereas outside of London, across England, it's more like 11.9%. So a much, much bigger drop-off. And I think Andy Burnham's point this week at this big launch that he did to get people more excited about Greater Manchester's plans in lots of areas. When he was talking about buses, he was talking about how on some routes you've got pretty empty buses because it's a bit too expensive, because it's inconvenient, because the tickets don't work on other services. And actually, if we filled up those places, the bus system would be more efficient. But you're also talking about the other side of the coin, which is there are also routes where buses are massively oversubscribed and the system doesn't seem to be particularly well coordinated. It's still too expensive and the local authority effectively doesn't have any control. They can't do anything about that. It's all about where private companies want to put their buses at any one time. So that's effectively what bus reform is all about. Last week, the Greater Manchester Combined Authority passed a really important staging post in this because the the bus operators, a few of the companies, had challenged this move in the courts. They challenged the franchising system. They basically challenged the way in which it was implemented. Andy Burnham got the go-ahead from the courts to go ahead with this. That ruling basically said, no, that challenge isn't legitimate. So we are going ahead with this franchising system. This week, we learned a bit about the timetable for this change. Next year, bits of the north of Greater Manchester are going to see franchise buses, and the rest of Greater Manchester will, will wait till 2024. So this is a massive thing. We're going to be talking about it again. It feels very boring, but I think in terms of Greater Manchester's transport system, it's really crucial. The big question remaining about this is funding. I mean, you need a lot of public subsidy in order to do something like this, or you need to increase taxes, not just because there are massive costs involved in moving to a franchising system. You have to buy the depots, you have to get new buses in, you have to change the liveries on buses, or you have to put new systems in place. But 
also because a big part of this, as we heard from the clip of Andy Burnham at the top of the podcast, is about putting fares down. And if you want a single to go down from £3.50 to £2, or you want a daily cap on prices, or you want to link in with the Metrolink, those have real cost implications. You know, when we spoke to an official at, at Transport for Greater Manchester this week, you know, they said that currently there's a funding bid into the government to try and get more money for this kind of thing but clearly it hasn't been secured it hasn't been signed off and it's going to take a hell of a lot of money and increases in taxes in order to to make this system work so i think there's a lot of optimism about it but there are still some major doubts about its delivery Now, Jack, another big story in Greater Manchester this week has been the Manchester Arena bombing inquiry. It has finally come to an end. Um, They've stopped taking evidence after, I think, 196 days of evidence between now and, and September 2020. Tell us what we've learned this week. This week, the main thing that we've really been hitting the headlines is the amount of criticism that's been levied on MI5. So at the start of last month, we covered how there were three weeks of secret hearings as part of the inquiry that involved MI5's involvement and spoke to officials about what they knew about the Abedi brothers in the build-up to the attack. And what was revealed was that essentially MI5 did have what came to be understood to be crucial information in the months leading to the attack, but didn't act on it. They had thousands of messages from Salman to a terrorist who was living outside of the UK. They had multiple opportunities, essentially, where what we now know would have been pretty simple steps that could have apprehended the brothers. And that's put them under serious scrutiny. The two main QCs who are part of the inquiry, who are John Cooper and Pete Weatherby, have just been piling scorn on them, particularly, really, referring to stuff like virtue signalling or MI5 basically trying to act as though or giving the impression, according to the QCs, that they're almost kind of above it, like they were doing their job. What we now has found that while they may have been trying or may have been doing their job to a degree, it didn't really come off for them. Do we know anything more about that? We don't really, but I think this is one of those cases of the classic public inquiry conundrum. So, like, we do know that... Salmon was one of 685 out of around 20,000 closed subjects of interest. So while it looks terrible in hindsight that these things were missed, I think it's often important to remember that these people are part of much larger groups of possible terrorists that, you know, MI5 are also keeping track of. So it'll be interesting to see how this comes out in the report, which is set to be released at the end of this year. There's also this report into the emergency service response. When's that expected? Yeah, that's expected in July. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Jack. Now, the next story we're going to talk about is a theme we've talked about regularly on this podcast, and that is how Ukrainians in Manchester are coping with their country being at war, how they're trying to help, and also just, I suppose, looking at the lives that they lead, because it's probably not something that most people would have thought about that much before, about how Ukrainians live in Manchester, or most people wouldn't have been aware that we had a really big and strong Ukrainian community, but it's been really interesting to get to know them in the past few weeks. Jack, you went to a Saturday school, a Ukrainian Saturday school, in Cheatham Hill recently, and you spent a whole morning there and it was quite impressive actually you kind of wrote a piece I think at lunchtime and we got it out at two o'clock or something on a Saturday it's the first time we've ever done that and 
you really picked up the kind of way in which the culture of Ukraine is being maintained among these kids at the school. Tell, tell us, who, who did you see there? What, what, what did they do there? Yeah, so I went to, it was at the uh, Ukrainian Cultural Centre in Cheatham Hill. And it's essentially part of the broader association of Ukrainians in Great Britain, which is obviously a nationwide thing. And this was its Manchester branches um, Saturday school. So essentially, it's kids from the community who are part of Ukrainian families or have come from Ukraine with their families. Or there was one kid I met who um, was born in the UK, but his mum and dad were Ukrainian. They'd taken him there for like the past 11 years so that he could learn about his heritage. And I think that's the main drive of that school is being able to preserve heritage and help kids really understand where they came from and the sort of cultural contours that will make up their life as they grow older. So they don't just kind of lose it with growing up in the UK and kind of lose track of their uh, roots, really. And tell us about Katerina, because she's the teacher who was teaching some of these kids and she was kind of the centre of your piece. Yeah, so Katerina grew up in Kharkiv, eastern Ukraine, and she came here just after the millennium. And she told me about her mum, sister and niece were essentially trying to get out of Ukraine and into Poland after the first round of really heavy bombardment of Kharkiv, essentially. And it was really fascinating talking to her because I think it gave the piece that perspective. There was a lot of, in the news, talking to Ukrainians who were in Ukraine and were under Russian bombardment. But Katerina was essentially kind of arranging their escape from the country from Manchester so she was like ringing people in Lviv who could give them a lift to the train station and ringing this guy in Kharkiv who could help them get here and hearing that side of things and the stress that she was under doing that all the while she was still going to work she was still volunteering at the Saturday school and I mean the Saturday school I think for a lot of the teachers was a great sort of source of succor for them it was kind of where they could go to be with people who were going through something similar and it was also something just to take that everyone's mind off what was going on most of the parents and the teachers at the Saturday school while kids are just kind of running around doing what kids do I remember when I was studying the assembly a lot of the parents were just staring at the news looking at the phone taking phone calls and leaving the room to talk to someone else so it was still a constant presence but she and others said themselves that it was a great way to distract them but it was a difficult situation for Katerina at that point. And how are they dealing with with the kids? I mean, how much are they talking about what's happening in Ukraine with their children? Well, I mean, that's one of the difficult parts because it's a Saturday school that basically looks after kids aged, I think, three through to 14. So with the younger kids, I think they find it a lot easier. It's kind of, you know, let's paint the Ukrainian flag. And they, of course, have to explain the concept of war. But I think it's a lot more difficult when it comes to the older kids who don't need the concept of war explaining to them. And they actually need calibrating to the reality that their loved ones are in a war and are in a war-torn country. And when I spoke to a group of year 10s there, so that would have been like aged 13 to 14, these were kids who were like watching their hometowns being bombed on TikTok. So it kind of runs away from the teachers by that point. So they kind of have to try and roll the fact that a war is going on into other lessons to help distract the kids whilst also being honest with them and talking openly about what's going on. So like at one point, 
to give you an example, when we were in what would have usually been a geography lesson, they had a map of Ukraine. And I think in normal times, it just would have been like, you know, whose ancestor or whose relative lives here. And this is this place, here's the capital and so on and so on. And now in the corner was a slightly smaller map that followed the Russian invasion into Ukraine. Katerina actually told me that was how they were now teaching geography, was by following the invasion through major cities. That image really stood out to me of the teacher teaching geography via an invasion, you know, and kind of trying to use the fact that there's a war going on as an educational moment, as a learnable moment. I thought that was pretty amazing. There was another thing in your piece which I kind of wanted to ask you about because your piece was a couple of weeks ago now. Katerina was in touch with a friend um, in Kharkiv um, who's having a terrible time. She was in touch with her family who were hunkering down under a, a apartment block and you mentioned that she knew from, you know, online videos and stuff that the block where she had grown up had been bombed ahead of when her family knew have you heard from her recently i know you've been texting her in the in the past couple of days what what have you been hearing from katarina so things with their escape have got better but i think it's what we're hearing about in the news at the minute with the number of forms that need filling in and the kind of very uh, convoluted way that people are having to get out of the country since I spoke to Katerina, she's actually gone to Poland and met her family there because she's helping them fill in the various bits of paperwork that they need so that they can get to the UK. And just, I think, yesterday, or it may have even been today, I was just texting her, they have now had the visas granted and they're going to all be flying home to the UK together. It's a really big win for her. Are they coming to Manchester? Yeah, they'll be coming to live with her as far as I'm aware. That's what her plan was. That's brilliant. So maybe um, in a future episode, we can, if they're up for it, we can go meet them. Jack, thank you very much. The final bit of our podcast today is something very, very different from Ukraine and buses and the Manchester Union Inquiry. Danny went to a dining club called the Lancashire Dining Club. It was run by a, a former Berry councillor. And the point of the club is to help people over the age of 60 find love and meet people over dinner. And it's a wonderful story. So I'm going to hand over to Danny um, to tell us all about it. First of all, let me tell you I'm a foodie. And I'm a social animal, right? So I'm talking to a, a young friend, a, a young, a young, much younger. She had a very demanding job. And she said, I can't meet any nice men. She said, I'm working in the evenings. And when I go in the pubs in Mary, <laughs> the men are... I, and I said... From nowhere in my head, I don't know, because I'm I'm a married lady. I said, you want to find one of these um, dinner club things? I must have read about them. And she said, there are none around here. I've just been to Tottington um, and met a seven-year-old woman called Yvonne Wright. Yvonne is actually Tottington's independent councillor, but for 22 years she's been running something called the Lancashire Dining Club, which is a singles club for over 60s so it's a place where people can dress up they have a sit-down meal and there are quizzes the best dressed sort of gets a prize and then at the end of the night everyone gets up and has a boogie has a dance and it's a chance to socialize meet with friends or if they're lucky um, find love and 
so far it boasts around 60 marriages. Yvonne told me it wasn't anything to do with her. She just said um, she kind of puts all the ingredients into a bowl and gives it a bit of a mix, but there's clearly some knack, some knack to matchmaking. Otherwise, you wouldn't get 60 marriages. The club is a really lovely, sort of important social space for, for many of its members. Some of them had experienced divorce or had lost a loved one. It's a place where people can mingle and make friends, or if they're up for it, find love again. I spoke to a few of the members who told me that they really valued the sort of in-person interactions because some of them had tried online dating and they just said it, it wasn't for them. And it's just a chance for them to let their hair down and have a bit of a boogie, in which they all said they really loved. And also there it was, it was very fun. There were sort of sit-down dinners, um, some quizzes, and Yvonne loves to sort of um, decorate rooms according to themes. So each dinner night will have a different theme and it gives the diners a chance to sort of dress up and and look their best. Thanks very much to Danny. And if you want to read Danny's full story, you need to become a Mill member. It's a lovely piece we published in our Thursday newsletter, which is at manchestermill.co.uk. Okay, Jack, before we sign off, you're going to need to give us your rec, your recommendation for the week ahead for our listeners. What are you telling people to do? My recommendation for this week would be Viva. It's the uh, Spanish and Latin American Film Festival, which is at home starting this Friday through to the 7th of April. It's like basically all the best cinema from the Spanish-speaking world. Some of them are even UK premieres. So if you're into that, I think that'd be really interesting. My recommendation is the St. Patrick's Day celebrations are happening on Piccadilly Gardens. It's kicked off on Thursday on St. Patrick's Day itself, and they're running until Sunday. It's the reason there have been all these sort of boards put up and um, boardwalk put up on, on, on the gardens in, in recent weeks. There are going to be Irish dancers, pipe bands. There are going to be folk musicians. There's going to be traditional food. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to give it a go because I live around the corner. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. But we hope to see you next week. If you like this podcast, please do share it with a few friends on WhatsApp or uh, leave us a rating, leave us a review, because that kind of stuff would really help. To see all our journalism and to join us as a paying member, head to manchestermill.co.uk. Manchester Weekly.